Hi, welcome to the Axiom Podcast. This is Cameron Earhart. I'll be your host for today. And joining us, we have Joey Brandon, our CEO, and Bill Kleinbell. Bill's a, a good friend of mine. I've known him for, I think, going on a, a couple of years now, but excited to have you on, excited to hear your story. So we'd love to start. Tell everybody who you are, a little bit about yourself and your company, and then we'll go from there. Well, Joey and Cam, thanks for the opportunity to be here. Uh, excited to, to share. Telling the listeners a little bit about myself. Uh, Married, live in Tampa, have three children, uh, uh, a 14-year-old, a uh, 13-year-old, and also a three-year-old. So uh, that's what I spend most of my time uh, doing, being father, husband, uh, what I enjoy uh, in my free time. I like to fish. Steelers football. I'm from Pittsburgh. Uh, <laughs> Another Pittsburgh. Yeah, There's Pittsburgh yeah. people all over this place. I had a call, an eight o'clock call with a Pittsburgh guy this morning. Yeah, we just uh, renamed uh, the field in Pittsburgh from Heinz Field to I can't even pronounce what it is going to be called <laughs> now. Uh, but it's a huge, huge uh, uh, Penguins and Steelers fan. Oh man, what are we doing? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I put my uh, I put my uh, first. Tampa Bay Lightning shirt on. I went to one of the Avalanche games, uh, Lightning Avalanche, uh, uh, Stanley Cup. Yeah, games. we're not going to talk about that. So moving on, I like the fish. We go up to Tennessee a lot. That's where my in-laws are at. Uh, so uh, that that's just a very high level about uh, high level information about myself. Um, I do spend a tremendous amount of time working in the business, so it's always a balance between family and uh, and relevant. Relevant. Give us an idea. So tell us about Relevant. What is it? What do you do? It's a unique company. It's a unique I, company. I remember the first time I heard about it, I was like, wow, I, I haven't heard about businesses yeah. like this. So so it's very interesting. So give the overview of Relevant. Yeah, let me, let me start with the elevator pitch, right? <laughs> uh, at a high level, uh, we're a consulting firm in the commercial real estate space that manages the complexities of commercial real estate projects. And uh, at our genesis, uh, at relocation strategies, which we can uh, dive into a little bit more, we focus on companies that were relocating. That's a very complex. It's a very complex project. Uh, typically, there's no one dedicated to managing or overseeing that. Either the CFO will be responsible for the project, or the office manager. And you know uh, that there, there's a different caliber of. Uh, skill set that would be deployed in either of those situations and what we do is we kind of kind of bridge that gap we come in with the experience uh, uh, project management dedicated resource to overseeing all the complexities and that can be the construction component uh, which typically sets the baseline for the entire project uh, then there's the technology component then there's the FF&E component, so in a manufacturing space, uh, that's a big deal. There's a lot of complexities as it relates to moving a manufacturing facility or even buying new equipment and installing that equipment for that manufacturing facility. Uh, then there's a move, uh, and people get us confused with movers. We're not a mover in any capacity. So We're, you're not carrying boxes? We don't carry any boxes, okay. no, no. We hire the people that carry the boxes <laughs> okay. in the trucking company, and we make sure that they do a great job for our clients. 
but but that's not what we are. We're not a moving company. Uh, and then there's everybody that has an address associated with that client. Uh, and that could be your print copy fax vendor. That could be your suppliers for all your raw materials. That could be your logistics company that's picking up finished goods. Uh, we work with our clients to make sure that everybody that is associated to that address understands what the impact of the move or the timing of that move is going to be, is, is how that's going to impact their service or their interaction with our client. And then typically what people forget about is there's a decommissioning component to every project that is turning your existing space over back to the landlord to get your security deposit back and what that looks and feels like and how much work that's going to be versus moving out of a space that you own and now you need to put that into marketable condition. Mm. So uh, at a high level, we manage complex commercial real estate projects so the owners don't have to. The details are in the project management of construction management, the technology integration, the procurement and installation of FF&E in an office environment that's as simple as office uh, office furniture. Medical is a little bit more challenging. We talked a lot about the manufacturing just moments ago. We handle the move. All the office services or anybody that has an address and then decommissioning. We integrate all those scopes of work. Uh, to ensure a timely relocation, an on-budget relocation, and then a relocation that doesn't drain or uh, drain the morale of an organization sure. or affect the culture because of the move. So that last part, drain the morale. Uh, it's funny, when we have a client who's going to go through any kind of move, I cringe. And I hate moving. We've had to move two or three times in the last 15 years. And um, it is the single most disruptive thing I feel like you can do to a business. Short of like the owner passing away or retiring or the business changing hands. And I think even that, I think even changing ownership is less disruptive than picking up all of your stuff and moving it to another place. I couldn't agree with you more. And it's so interesting that it gets overlooked you it will probably talk about some challenges and things of that nature but just explaining our value to clients our prospective clients when i sit here and i hear what you say most people have moved their home before and talked about how disastrous it was (laughs) well it's up there like they talk about what are the things that can contribute to like life stress right and it's like the death of a parent um, you know, a child going to college and like moving, right? It's like number three on the list <laughs> of the things that cause stress and potential heart attacks for guys like me, right? Right. And so you share that and think about moving something that is producing revenue, that is the lifeblood of all the employees' paychecks and food on their table, and people will pass it off to the office manager. Well, you you said the office manager or the CFO. And, you know, in my experience, those are two people that, you know, they rarely have enough to do. You know, they're just kind of sitting around all day, like wondering, you know, I know I'll volunteer. But no, like these people, they've already got day jobs. So what's all the things that aren't getting done? I can tell you their day job isn't getting done as office manager or CFO. And the project management is not getting done because they're just stretched too thin and you can't do either one effectively because it's too much for, for one person. So that, that is our value proposition. Yeah. You don't have to sell me. It's turning into the, uh, the commercial. Yeah, it is. Bill's company, but a huge value proposition. I think 
uh, and before I met you, it made sense. Like, you know, it kind of clicked when you know, I was like, oh, of course. Um, but I think for me, it clicked like, well, of course, you got this large enterprise, you know, 10,000 square feet, 20,000 square feet, whatever. Yeah, you're going to need some help with that. But it's not just that. I mean, in some sense, I think the value proposition is even higher for some of the smaller businesses you probably work with because it is the that revenue generation is the lifeblood and the difference between being able to have some continuity in revenue and billing and everything going out versus having a two-week disruption or a two-week downturn could be a really big deal. Exactly, and you're and you're talking about small companies, large companies. You know, we ask clients um, during a, a pro- the project assessment phase or during the first call. You know, what is four hours of downtime look for your organ look like for your organization on Monday morning after you've moved? Like, what is the impact? I can't tell you what the impact is, but certainly everybody has an expectation when they show up that Monday morning to be doing something, and if they're not. Is it worth the X amount of consulting dollars that you're going to pay a dedicated resource for six to 12 months to oversee your relocation? And Joe, you mentioned two weeks. That's a horrible scenario. Yeah. And what I can tell your listeners is that the 160 plus projects that we've completed, we've had no unplanned downtime. Wow. That's pretty, that's a, that's a pretty good. Tracker. Zero. Yeah. I mean, because that, that's what we're selling. Yeah. At the end of the day, if we would have downtime or unplanned downtime, we would have failed. Yeah. That that would be a project failure. We have had zero of those. Yeah. So so we're going to talk a lot about project management. We have a ton of questions we want to ask you, but let's rewind for a second. Tell us about the origination of Relevant, how it all started, how you, you know, how, how did this get going? Like, why did you decide to get into this industry? That's a good question. So the industry, so th- those are two different questions, actually. <laughs> uh, so let's just start maybe, if you don't mind, I'll just go back uh, to maybe who I am or where I come from, right? So to mentioned earlier uh, from Pittsburgh, but I've always been working. I've always been working. I've, I, I, think, I think I'm a... I'm an entrepreneur uh, in every, every sense of the word. Um, at the age of five, dad had given me a paper rod. It was only 10 papers, but I was making money as like a five-year-old, which is kind of crazy. I couldn't even lift the bag, but, uh, right. My dad, uh, uh, you know, created a strong work ethic, uh, mowed lawns, uh, had like 80 lawns as a, as a, uh, as a senior in high school, which is, which is just a tremendous amount of work to have what well, I don't recommend it uh, but but that's what that's you know I've always been trying to to generate income uh, I moved here uh, into the to Tampa in 2003 and I started working for Lennar and that's when I learned that I really really liked project management uh, and then I went on to get my PMP uh, shortly thereafter, when uh, I went to work for a company called Mortgage Contracting Services (MCS), and that was the the biggest blessing, kind of career-wise, in my life, uh, because it was humbling. I took a line-level position after I got let go from Lennar during the housing crash in 2007, um, um, 
And what we did is we serviced, or what mortgage contracting services did at the time as their core business, was service all the loans that were in default for Wells Fargo and Chase on the residential side. So property preservation and um, uh, and inspections, which was just an incredible time to be with that company. And how it all got started is basically uh, I was able to r- r- rise up through the ranks relatively quickly uh, because of some of that work ethic uh, and just because of the f- significant growth within that organization. Um, I was like the 60th employee and, you know, we were up over 800 employees when, when I left there in 2015. So it grew very, very quickly. Uh, but nonetheless, I was able to capture a little bit of equity uh, in that organization. And when they recapitalized, uh, give me, it had provided me with the financial opportunity to look for, for uh a company of my own to start my entrepreneurial journey. Um, and we evaluated a lot of companies, put offers in on five, but uh, relocation strategies basically became uh, the opportunity that we were most interested in. We had a lot of criteria. Uh, we wanted to be in an industry that wasn't going to go anywhere. So commercial real estate, pretty solid. It's going to be commercial real estate for the foreseeable future, right? Uh, we wanted to be in an industry that was going to, that, that there were some signs of growth. And at the time, it was called uh, the Vinick Plan. Hmm. Uh, now it's Water Street. Yeah, uh, I, remember, so, I remember those days. Yeah, so, so, we, uh, so we were, uh, that, that was one of the, the factors. Uh, we wanted to be in an environment where we didn't have a lot of inventory. So we had some cash, but we didn't have a tremendous amount of cash to outlay for uh uh, something that was very capital intensive or inventory intensive, so a service business, wanted to leverage our project management and operational background. Uh, so all these factors kind of weighed into the decision, and then we were able to go into this opportunity with no debt. So we purchased this uh, franchise called franchise location called Relocation Strategies, and. Um, <clears throat> It was very early on in that process in 2015 after the agreement was executed that I realized we just weren't kind of aligned on a vision for how we were going to scale the company. And uh, without getting into too many of those details, um, COVID comes along in 2020. And because some of the work that I had been doing based off the direction a mentor provided me, I was positioning myself on a way to at least exit after our term, which was 10 years, to not have to deal with the non-compete. And ultimately what happened was all that work that I thought I was doing for 10 years out actually proved to be beneficial seven years out. <laughs> That's great. Yeah, so it, it's very interesting. And I think, Joey, I was sharing with you before we got started here. I'm always have my sights set on the vision and the goal. Very rarely do we ever accomplish the <laughs> goal. Uh, and, 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 and what I mean by that is we always need that target but factors that we are not in control of are always impacting the trajectory, right? And we have to adjust and shift. But it's that goal setting that, you know, you'd be adrift without, 
right? So I don't know if I'm rambling. Oh, it's here. like the uh, I think it's is it FDR the famous quote that you know plans are useless but planning is indispensable. You know, and it's that idea. Uh, or you know, there, there's a more contemporary quote of this, which Mike Tyson, like everybody has a plan until they get punched in the face. Right, <laughs> right, right, right. But yeah. that idea, um, you know, I think it's interesting that you as a and you you describe yourself as like an entrepreneur through and through. And I think that's very consistent with you saying the vision is always out there. The plan is always in front of me, but rarely, and maybe it's too much to say you don't get discouraged, but I think it's probably that you don't get dissuaded from continuing to pursue the plan, even as things don't work out as planned. And that's where I think that there's some business owners, and we've worked with a few of them, that really struggle to establish a vision because they're like, but I don't know if we're ever going to achieve that. And I'm like... Well, I don't either, but that's not the point. You know, it's, it's, that sounds ludicrous. In some ways, it is the point. In some ways, it's not the point. But for an entrepreneur, you got to be driven by something. Like, nobody's coming to pat you on the back. Nobody's coming to tell you what a good job you're doing. Mm-hmm. The only thing you have is, here's, here's the reason I started this company. Here's what I'm trying to accomplish with it. And am I getting closer? And that's the kind of the encouragement I would try to give those business owners who struggle to set a vision because, like, I don't know if we can do this. I'm like... Would you rather make progress toward it and not accomplishment or just sit where you're at right now and be somewhat aimless? Because the other the other, the thing that happens with entrepreneurs is if you don't have that thing in front of you, it's so easy to get discouraged. Like you're getting punched in the face all day long. All day long. <laughs> and we can come back to discouraged uh, 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 if, you, if you'd like, uh, but I haven't even really answered uh, Cam's question about uh, relevance. So ultimately an opportunity presented itself for us to uh, work our way out of our gr- franchise or franchise agreement. And what I would tell you is I approached that uh, and created um, win- a win-win win times 13 type of scenario uh, for the franchisor, myself, and all the other franchisees. And everybody got what they wanted. And it was a lot of work. Uh, I tried to buy the entire franchise network three times. And on the third time, we, we got a little bit closer, but it provided me with a number that I was like, okay, how do I make the franchisor happy? And I was like, okay, all these franchisees don't want to be part of this either because of a you know, the, the environment that we are currently in. And uh, everybody was able to exit, uh, and the franchisor actually got a dollar amount that he was looking for and removed himself uh, from some of the challenges he was facing as the franchisor as well. And uh, it, it ultimately ended up to be uh, a great scenario for everybody involved. Fast forward to how we come upon Relevant. Uh, one of the challenges we always faced at relocation strategies was people anticipating or assuming, anticipating is not the right word, assuming that we were movers. So we wanted to, we had this new opportunity in front of us. Um, and we could have kept the name relocation strategies. That was, that was still, still an option. But um, we, we wanted to move away from being perceived as a mover because we always felt that we were always starting behind the starting line each time we engaged with someone. So then the, uh, we have a uh, marketing firm that we've, w- that we've worked with, Avert, they're, they're fantastic. Um, and they helped us uh, with some questions on evaluating what type of name uh, we should use. So it's either a name that describes your business and it's very clear of what you do. And then 
something that says that prompts anybody that you're engaging with to ask the question, what do you do? <laughs> so uh, because uh, even in conversation with the two of you, the first time we met, really, you know, relocation strategies, what do you do? You, you assume we, you know, move boxes, like Cam mentioned, you know, <laughs> earlier in the conversation. Uh, so, so we decided let's find a name that prompts us to uh, the, 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 <clears throat> The person that we're speaking with prompts them to ask us, "What is it that we that we do?" Um, and we went through a lot of different names, and we were trying to make up some stuff. And uh, ultimately, we came across a French word. We believe it was a French word that was uh, relevant. Start spelled with a ph. And we liked the way it sounded. We just didn't like the way that it looked. And then when we changed it to R-E-L-O, we were like, oh, people probably remember Relo. And that gives us a little bit of best of both worlds, so to speak. So that's how we, how we come, came up with it. We just liked the sound of relevant. Uh, didn't like the way that it was spelt in the, in, in, in the first version that, we've, that we found online. And from there, uh, we decided, okay, how are we gonna? How are we going to make sure people pronounce it correctly? We decided that uh, an elephant would be a great image to associate with the name, and now we have this affinity for the uh, for the <laughs> elephant. <laughs> and uh, and and ultimately, what I would tell you is. Uh, some revelation at that particular point in time was that hey this is a brand that i think we could grow and be recognizable we could be a recognizable commercial real estate brand uh because of our name and the logo so we got really excited at that at that point that, that was a that was literally last august so only coming up on a year um but then all the hard work started. Coming up with the name seemed hard, but man, uh, I would tell you August through November, oh, the list never ended on the rebranding tasks. That, that was like from the email address to just the domain to you know Microsoft Office applications. Obviously, uh, someone probably more sophisticated and uh, technology capable uh, than than myself could have probably done it a lot more seamlessly. But uh, you know, we were running a business. We were running a lot of projects. We had a lot of projects last year. We had a great, great best year ever last year. Um, so so we were we were juggling a lot. We're a small organization at the point in time. We had four people. Uh, so. Uh, Managing those tasks in that project, that rebranding project, was uh, significant. So that's how we became relevant. It was a year ago. Uh, happy to answer more questions about that, or or, or move on to the next topic. <laughs> well, you've got this. Um, like you said, you're trying not to get into the more movers. You know, you don't want to be pigeonholed as that. Um, the more we talked about your business, you know, the more value I saw in it, but that was, I was coming at that from a position of like curiosity and I want to know Bill better and I want to know how we can help him and figuring out, um, you know, what, uh, what is, we're always curious that what we do for a living is, you know, tear businesses apart and put them back together again. Yeah. And so for us, uh, it was kind of our natural intuitive process, but I'm interested to hear like, how do you let the outside world know 
what it is that you do when a lot of the outside world doesn't even know people like you exist. Yeah, well, so that's our number one uh, biggest challenge uh, th that we can talk about. So, so uh, early on, 2015, June 2015, so commercial real estate organizations is our environment. That's that 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 that's our field. So what we're what we're trying to do constantly is to get in front of commercial real estate brokers to simply let them know that we exist. Early on, we weren't saying, hey, bring us in on every project. We were saying, if your clients are asking for a resource to oversee their corporate relocation, make sure you refer them to us. We're here, right? We, we battle with the brokerage community because we don't, and battle might not be the right word. It feels like a battle, <laughs> all right? They probably don't perceive it as a battle, but it's a battle for us in a sense that unless the client illustrates some level of pain, there's really no incentive for them to bring us into the deal. And the bigger shops like a CBRE or a Cushman Wakefield or a Jones Lang LaSalle, um, they have an in-house division that does what we do, but their firms are known for the brokerage and property management component. So it's a very easy handoff, but the folks that the project managers within those organizations, they're doing the same thing we're doing and trying to sell to their brokers. They're trying to find their own projects too, even though they're within that organization, which is really was news to us when, when, we, when we learned that. Um, so going back to these organizations, so Real Estate Investment Council, REIC, spend a lot of time there. I'm on the board of crew. I'm the treasurer there, commercial real estate women. And, you know, that's a, that's a story in and of itself of how I got involved there. But love that organization, love what, what we do there uh, and, and nationally. Um, we spend a lot of time at CCIM. We spend a lot of time or spent a lot of time at FIDCAR, Florida Gulf Coast Association of Realtors. Uh, so we're constantly so rep. Uh, we're constantly engaged in that environment, searching for the next deal. Doesn't seem optimal, does it? Like, <laughs> that, I mean, that's it. We're we're hunting, yeah, constantly. Um, the good news is last year, twenty four projects, eight came from commercial real estate broker referrals, eight came from our vendor network. So our vendors are. Typically a furniture vendor, a low voltage cabling vendor, a signage vendor, a mover, a rigging company. Uh, we got eight project architects, general contractors. Uh, they provided us with eight projects. And then, uh, you know, we're, we're blessed in the fact that, you know, we had eight projects from past clients reaching back out. So that's always affirmation. Once we got our first repeat client, I was like, okay, we're doing something right here. Uh, so how do we educate our, our, our prospective client base on who we are and what we do? We're still referral driven, but yet we're trying to change that and I kind of turn it back over to uh, mm. uh, other one of you. Yeah. Well, yeah, one thing you didn't share, but you've shared with me before, is when you were first getting started. Uh, I'm probably gonna get the number wrong, but you, what, what was it? You met with 300 brokers in a year, or talked with 300 brokers. Like you were hustling. You were <laughs> uh, hustling. Yeah, <laughs> hustling. So, um, going back to being a franchisee, 
everybody asked, you know, we we were a top performing franchise location, and everybody asked about the success. How do, how do we get that success? I was like, literally in one year, put 900 people into my contact management system, in which I sat down with and explained who we are and what we do. Uh, so the goal was to meet with uh, 200 commercial real estate brokers in three months. It took nine months. Man, but you're slacker. That, yeah, <laughs> it was so, like it was, like it was just an incredible amount of coffee. <laughs> like, it was insane. Like I would be driving from one county to the next to like a Starbucks or to a Starbucks, not like a Starbucks, but to a Starbucks and then just drive into another Starbucks. Literally to launch the company, I, I just traveled to all the Starbucks. <laughs> so, so to meet with folks. But uh, that, that's how we've done it. Now, now we're obviously trying to get more sophisticated th than that approach. But that's got us to where we're at today. And that was the legwork of kind of myself. Yeah. Um, we are trying to hire a business development executive with economic development experience that was responsible for attracting companies to the whatever region that, that they were in. So that that's our newest strategy. And we've hired a consulting firm to kind of help us find that person. Uh, but ultimately, I'm a better president of the company or CEO or operations manager, project manager, then I am a salesperson. So we're trying to trying to shift a little bit, and we think that there's going to be some growth that we're going to realize in yeah. that regard. Listen, I, I might challenge you a little bit on that last statement. Oh, yeah. um, you know, it's interesting when I talk to people who are successful in sales, and this guy sitting next to us is really good at it. Yeah. He's kind of got a natural gift. Cameron's really good at that whole skill set. But um, – I ask a lot of times, I'll say, well, how did, especially people with professional sales, like this is their job. This is the only job they've ever had. And the product or the service may have changed over time, but they've always been in sales. And I always like, how did you get started? And then I remember the, one of the, one of the best uh, examples I have of this is a guy who became very successful at Mary, Merrill Lynch. It was probably uh, eight or nine years ago. And he was kind of in line to inherit um, his father-in-law's book of business who also worked for Merrill Lynch. But in the meantime, he had built up a huge book of business on his own. And you're like, man, this guy's kind of got the double whammy. Like he's going to inherit the book. He's built the book. And the more I got to know him, I was like, so what's your story? Like, how'd you, and he, he loves sales. He's like, so what's your story? You know, why did you get so interested in building relationships and asking for the deal? And he goes, Cutco knives. He's like, yeah. I came out of college and went to Atlanta. I sold Cutco knives in the summer in Atlanta, you know, wore out four pairs of shoes in one summer. And I, I just, I love the 900 contacts. I love the 200 realtors in three months, but it took nine months. And I think that there's a part of, um, there's a part of any skill set that is just putting in the reps Right. And you obviously did that. So I'm sure you got better and better at representing the company and selling yeah. the 199th person versus the second or the third. But 
I, I cannot, and I try, I've got a 17 year old and a 14 year old sons and they've started this pressure washing business and, you know, they're, they're wanting to, you know, one of them we were talking last night and he's like, I think next year, you know, if I really hit it hard in the summer, I can pay off my car, which means he means pay me back for the car that we bought <laughs> so that then he's free to trade it in for the car that he really wants because yeah. it's not a cool enough car. Right. Yeah. And uh, and I was like, that's great, you know. And I, but I always say like, they're so sick of hearing this. I'm like, but what's the secret? What's the hard part of that equation? And they're like, we know sales, you know. So I go, <laughs> yeah. you can do three driveways a day all day if you can convince three people to let you clean their driveway for money. And that's where there's so many self help books now, and there's not nothing against Sandler sales. I love Jamie King. He's locally. He's a fantastic guy. We've got lots of clients that use him and I, I continue to push more to use him. Uh, but you can go to sales training and you can read sales books and you can go to sales seminars, but can you make yourself drive to six different Starbucks five days in a row yeah. for six weeks at a time and just continue to do it and do it and do it? Cause that to me is yeah. kind of the essence of the professional salesperson. It, it, for us, it was that was the only way. There was no other. There was no other means. There was no in inbound mechanism in place. And there was a piece of me very early on in the relocation strategies days, 2015, 2016, that was disgruntled with the signature. <laughs> right? <laughs> right. I, I was really upset that I put my signature on that. But that was taken away. Like I was focused on trying to figure out how to solve this problem when I just needed to go sell. And I, a couple other statistics. I'm a numbers guy. I always put numbers around everything I do. Uh, but it was 30 to 40 coffees a week. Wow. 30 to 40 coffees a week. So it's exactly what you just said, Joey. Uh, um, and then and then the uh, the other the other number that I always share with people. I needed to have 100 coffees to close the deal. Hmm faster I could get to 100 coffees. And this is something I explain to people that I'm mentoring, right? It takes the same amount of reps in whatever you're doing to be the best at that craft. You can get those reps done by doing five reps a day, 20 reps a day, or 60 reps a day. The faster you get the reps done, the sooner you're going to get to your goal. And that's just something that is kind of innately, I, I have that drive. That's what drives me. The sooner I can get through these reps, the sooner we're going to accomplish our goal or the sooner we're going to be in a position to establish the next goal, yeah. right? Right? Is, is, is the approach. Because just because you get the 100 reps in, you're hoping you're the best, but you might not be the best, but you found out something, you've learned something through that process, and you're ready to make a decision to move on. But if you haven't done the reps, then you don't know the answer. Yeah. And I think that that's kind of what you, what you're kind of alluding to a little bit, and you have to do the work. Yeah. Well, and the other thing that is as beautiful about those reps, the particular kind of reps we're talking about, is I'm sure that um, in those conversations, like there comes a point when you're like, if this person obviously has uh, a connection to a client or a personal need for your service, or it's a value add for whatever they're doing, if they're selling commercial real estate. And at some point you're like, so what do we need to do to take this to the next step? 
like you're like trying to close the deal in yeah. some sense, right? Mm-hmm. And so that always be closing mentality, right? Yeah. Um, but when you talk to when when you're in that sales environment, there's not a question of whether you put the reps in or not if you measure it by that barometer. So I can like I can go have coffee with a hundred business owners. Those reps don't count if I don't push for what's the next step here? What are we trying to accomplish? Because we can all share information. I could buy as many, I could get innumerable people to come to coffee with me mm-hmm. by just picking up the tab for five buck cup of coffee, right? There's enough people out there who don't have anything else to do on a Wednesday morning that I could go find somebody to have coffee with. But that's not a great rep if I'm not trying to figure out how is this going to drive the business forward? How am I going to help this person? How are we going to work together? Mm. How are we going to make this meeting worth something as yeah. opposed to just spending time? Yeah, let's, let's stay here for a minute because this is really important. Probably something I should have alluded to first. You know, um, As we talk about the reps, what, uh, what the, the, the same mentor that, that had helped me with the, the other objective that we talked about earlier uh, in, in getting out of the franchise agreement um, also shared with me that we, you, a client is not going to do business with you until they have what we decided was 18 positive interactions with you, 18 positive con- contacts, communications. And we've lo- we we did some research and we saw that number as low as 7 and we saw it as high as 30 but <clears throat> for whatever reason I can't tell you what the reason was it uh, <laughs> it was a long time ago now but we, we we figured that we need to we 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 need to connect with this person on, in a positive way 18 times before they're going to trust us uh, with business so how do we get that we can't have 18 coffees with that person or it would be 4 years before 4 or 5 years before <laughs> before before we get ha- have an opportunity to be a value and i think i want to i want to suggest it in that terms because that's the mindset that i wanted that, that i go into all of our interactions with and my objective and when i'm training others or when i'm sharing sales strategy with other folks outside of our business that I might be mentoring or even folks within our business that are out there uh, representing us. Uh, the objective is to come away with that rep, come away from that rep with what it is you are going to do, me personally, for the person that I was having co- coffee with. Okay, what do they need? Do they need a con- do they- Who's a good connection for them? Do they like working with attorneys? Okay, who, who in my in my contact management system would be a good attorney to introduce them to? Or an architect, or a general contractor, or are does their <clears throat> is their son considering project management as a mm-hmm. as, as a career or, or daughter or something along those lines? Is there something within their family environment that? me or my wife could help them with like really digging deep to try to figure out how I can send that next email to schedule that next level of support service interaction uh, or value add and really being intentional about that because a couple things happen not only are you affecting that person that you just had that rep with but those other contacts that you're going to bring back into the fold Mm -hmm. To introduce them to that's that positive con so you're building more you're getting closer to that 18 interactions number and, and that's what I called spinning the web 
being relevant, staying in front of people for the right reason. You, 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 Joe, you mentioned you could find eight, uh, you could find people to have coffee with each and every morning, but at some level, if you've contacted someone six times over the past two years to have coffee and nothing's come out of that for either one of you, sooner or later, an email's not going to get responded yeah. to and that coffee's not going to get They're set. Like, I'll make my own coffee this morning. <laughs> yeah, there's nothing for us to talk about, right? So how do you make that, that, that meaningful? And it, uh, a lot of what I said is a lot easier said than done. Uh, and then you, then you get into the, you know, you're creating a lot of work for yourself that isn't tangible to the bottom bottom yeah. line and you just got to trust and then you know I've come to the point where there's now 6000 people in my contact management system and now it's time to understand what relationships I need to keep and what I need to shift over to a sales executive to grow and foster yeah. And that's kind of where that's that's where we're at in the life cycle of our our sales efforts. Well, I didn't bring this up earlier because I felt like a wuss uh, next to your two hundred real estate agents. But when I was uh, back in two thousand five, two thousand six, when I started, uh, I didn't have anything to do. Right, I had like three clients. Right, and I could do all that work in like one morning a week. And then right. I was like, all right, so what am I going to do? And uh, I'm living off home equity loan, you know, basically, and, and my three clients. And it's like, I got to build this business. So I'd read or, or heard somebody talk about 50 coffee meetings in 50 days. And I was like, all right, I like like you. I like numbers. You know, I can put that in a spreadsheet. I can track it. Yeah. And um, I did exactly what you're talking about, which I couldn't mark somebody off the list. They didn't count until I had done something for them. And it would be like a send them a book or even like a book recommendation or my nephew's coming into town and needs a summer internship. And I know a guy who's you know might be able to do that or real estate referral connection anything anything like i'm just racking my brain and i can remember sitting at my desk on a friday morning because it's typically when i would you know like book in my week like did i get everything done this week did i did i meet my goals for the week and i'd be like oh i was supposed to do like five coffee meetings today and i and i'd had the five coffees but I hadn't done something for five people. I can remember looking at a list and just racking my mind, what can I do, what can I do, what can I do? And um, then I started to teach other CPAs how to do consulting work, like how do you build a consulting practice? And the whole point, and I did the 50 and 50 thing a few times over my career, mm. and I did it a second time. The second time that I, the first time I did it, I just launched the business. The second time that I did it is when we sold the accounting practice, accounting and tax work, and we focused purely on consulting. And I knew that I needed to expand my network in a different direction because everybody had pigeonholed me as a CPA firm and I needed to be a consulting firm. So it's like, I'm going to do 50 and 50 again. And I'm going to go out to, to brand new people. My goal is to meet 50 brand new people and have 50 substantive conversations. And it wasn't for the purpose of getting referrals. It was just to kind of branch out my network in a whole new direction. So my only criteria, you know, I'd sit down with somebody and we'd have coffee and just an interesting conversation. I'm looking for something I can do, some way I can kind of uh, create value for them. And then at the end, I'd say, here's what I'm doing. I've been known for seven, eight years now as a tax and accounting firm. Uh, we're doing, we're only doing consulting now. I'm trying to expand my network in a new direction and get to know people who don't know me as a CPA. And uh, is there anybody that you can think of that just, it will be an interesting conversation. I'm not selling anything. And I had people introduce me to like the ringmaster for Sarasota Circus. Yeah. I had people introduce me to 
um, their retired aunt who'd written like four novels and was like this New York Times bestseller and, and just lived in this little house in West yeah. Bradenton. And there were just interesting conversations and I got into a new network. But with those people, it almost felt like finding the thing that I could do to provide value was so much easier because my motive was different. My motive wasn't growing the business. It was just growing the network. network. It was getting to know more people. And I felt like uh, for some reason that unencumbered me to think a little bit more outside the box of how can you provide value? Because we can all provide value. I mean, like we're, we're made as relational human beings. Like right? right. we need other people. We need to be in relationship with other people. But I think sometimes I've so narrowly constrained myself to what could that relationship look like because it's going to be in a, some kind of business context or professional context. But like you said, um, like relational like my wife and I have been through the ringer, right? We're 22 years, love her to death. We, we are made for each other. I told her last night, I'm like, you're my person. Uh, <laughs> and so, uh, but like there was a time 10, 12 years ago where we went through, you know, ups and downs and lots of downs. And coming through that, you know, I can hear a young guy talking who's been married 10 years. I'm like, man, I know exactly what that guy's going through. And I'm like, have you tried this, this, and this? You know, have you read this book? Have you touched this exercise? And it's that kind of stuff that... Um, I mean, what better positive interaction could you look for? It's so much of our, I love how you started your introduction, right? You started with, I'm a husband and I'm a father. And these are the things I like to, that's the stuff that really at our heart is what's most important to us. If you can help somebody with that stuff, all the, the trust issues around doing business together kind of have a way of resolving themselves right. after you've gotten to know somebody as a person. You said so much there. I, I have a thousand things to, to, to comment on. Uh, <laughs> you know, let's that, stay with the family. Uh, you know, for a, for for a moment. Um, for 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 me, it's 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 my faith. It's it's my Christian faith. Mm -hmm. You know, um, as we as we look at challenges in life, what I can share with you, and I've actually done some motivational speaking a little bit, but, uh, you know, James, James one, kind of all joy. <laughs> uh, so, so, uh, the challenges, you know, I embrace the challenges Co the 2020 was one of the best years of, uh, of, <clears throat> uh, uh, of my life, which is really insane to say. Uh, but that is when I kind of relinquished everything, uh, and that really, you know, top line, bottom line, really doesn't matter as long as I have what's inside these four walls. And if I don't have what's inside these four walls, I'm thankful for the time that I had what was inside these four walls. Mm. I also recognize where I came came from during those years. I'm kind of changing the direct, direction of the conversation here. But um, uh, if I can accomplish over the next 20 years what I accomplished in the past 20 years as it relates to the percent of growth from where I came from, what an amazing position that I will have been in, uh, or, 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 or what an amazing life and opportunity that I've, I've been blessed with. Uh, but going back to the kind of the giver's mentality in, in this relationship management environment that we're calling sales as mm -hmm. part, of this, part of this conversation, uh, getting back to the business component of that, if I walk away from a coffee meeting and I get emails with additional introductions or, or, or new introductions to folks, that's the win, right? Mm -hmm. That's the web. 
That's the networking. Um, you know, I had some mentors at Mortgage Contracting Services, the former CEO of that company. Uh, after I got promoted to an executive, uh, you know, we were at a ball game at a raise game and in the suite there, and you know, kind of positioning myself to get in front to to uh, sit down and have a conversation with him and uh, to, to ask him what should I do next and I'm thinking you know get this degree get this certification learn this he's like be a great relationship manager and don't get that confused with networking hmm. so I thought that that was great so I dug in a little bit to understand what he meant and it was really about delivering delivering that value so um your last uh, comments to me, you know, spurred a tremendous amount of uh, thoughts inside. Uh, but er there's nothing that you said that I didn't agree with uh, wholeheartedly. <laughs> yeah, and it's this, it's this go-giver mentality, yeah. right? I think there's a book. Yeah, yeah there's a book. Right, go I haven't even read it. But, um, but yeah, it was probably, for me, it was probably four, maybe five years ago that I was like, okay, I'm going to try out this go-giver mentality. Every meeting I have, I'm going to figure out how, what can I do to bless this person, help this yeah, person, bring go. value to this person. And so I was doing it for a while, and it was probably six months into it, and I wasn't seeing the same reciprocation, and it was frustrating me. And so I, I was like, man, I'm, I feel like I'm giving so much, but I'm not getting in return. And uh, yeah, I remember there's one uh, person in my network I had sent four introductions to, and they hadn't made one introduction to me. And I was just getting frustrated. So I was talking to my mentor. You brought up mentorship a lot. I was talking to my mentor and I was expressing this frustration. And he's a believer just like we all are. And uh, he looked me straight in the eyes and he says, he just said, you're giving for the wrong reasons. <laughs> and, I, and that hit me hard. And I was like, oh man, yeah. like, okay, I got to go back to the drawing board on this. <laughs> right, 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 right. Well, I wanted to get into kind of the uh, skill sets and disciplines with the time we have left. Um, we do, as you may or may not know, like a lot of our businesses, uh, they've got a big like field workforce. Um, they've got um, people out in the field that could be managing projects like large construction projects or development projects. Um, or they've got just uh, in the work that they do with us, some kind of major initiatives, major priorities. And you are an expert in the area of project management. You mentioned PMP, which yeah. is a, a professional designation. Mm -hmm. uh, it's not easy to get. It is a pretty high bar to clear. Yeah. And um, so in, in terms of in the whole area of project management, are there kind of some core critical components or um, skill set like what tips would you give somebody inside an organization who's like maybe they're they're starting to recognize you know my real value here is not in being able to put on the tool belt and run out in the field and fix the problem my real value is in making sure all the pieces in the chessboard are in their proper place and people are showing up on time and things are progressing according to timeline and I have no idea how to do that I've never been trained in how to do uh, that and so what what's the secret sauce to being a great project manager okay all right yeah um, that that's actually uh, fundamental to our business because uh, we are PMP certified and if you if you take the exam or study the material deploying every component of that methodology is extremely cumbersome <clears throat> and the way I understand it is that it's it's meant to be a a toolbox <clears throat> and so what I've done is I've taken what I think are the best portions of that methodology, stakeholder management, 
budget management, requirements management, risk management, and did I say schedule or did I say stakeholder? I'm not sure. You said stakeholder. Okay, schedule management. So that's those are the five areas of project management that we focus in on. With regards to stakeholder management, it's really understanding who's going to provide us the requirements for that specific scope of work. So we're typically working with the CIO when we're talking about the server room. Uh, we're typically talking uh, with the CFO or some type of cultural uh, leader within the organization, human resources, uh, when we're talking about furniture, when we're talking about the logistics of the move, we're talking with the COO. So who's the decision maker that is going to give us the requirements and ultimately bless the plan that we put into place? Um, within stakeholder management, we're also talking about communication. You know, the CIO can't be copied on every communication. That's not our role. Our role is to reduce workload, reduce communication, bring only that information that is required for decision making. So stakeholder management is really important. And if any of the listeners have any questions on uh, project management or their PMP, uh, I'd be happy to, to have a further conversation. I like helping people in that regard. With regards to budgets, uh, we're typically getting involved in a project where there's a set amount of dollars available for this project. And what we're trying to do is maximize how those dollars are utilized across all those scopes of work. One of the challenges our prospective clients and clients face is they haven't budgeted enough money. Yeah. So for any of those listeners out there that are planning on a relocation, let us help you at least identify all those scopes of work that are going to require some dollars. Uh, but oftentimes we have we're, we're resource constrained from a financial standpoint for every project that we get involved in uh, because the planning wasn't done up front. And so what we do there is we have to understand uh, where, you know, are we going to go with used furniture? Uh, are we going to relocate some of the technical, uh, some of the technology? Uh, there's just a variety of options. It often comes down to what the, the construction budget looks like. Uh, so from a budget management standpoint, that is, uh, that, that is critical. Um, risk management, uh, this is where I spend my time as a project manager behind the scenes and the client never even knows that I'm doing it. <laughs> and what I'm doing here is I'm evaluating what our vendors and what our clients are telling us about the risks that are up front, in front of us as this project life cycle moves forward. And what I'm saying there is people are gonna be out of work, hurricanes are coming, budgets are gonna be constrained, the operations going to be groups going to be offline for the next two weeks with this other initiative that is unrelated. The client doesn't know that I'm managing that in the background, but what I'm trying to understand is what that impact looks like. Uh, I say that it's in the background. Most project managers that are that that, that probably run different projects uh, or are in a different situation, they're probably having risk management meetings with their w with their stakeholder group. Um, the types of projects that we're managing and the environment that we're working within uh, typically doesn't afford us to have a, a risk management meeting with a CFO to talk about their relocation. We'd love that, uh, but that's that that's not uh, exactly uh, what happens. Uh, the the schedule management component we use Microsoft Project. Uh, 
you need a Gantt chart with a critical path. It's, it's really, really important that we understand lead times for procurements and what that impact of not receiving that raw material, or not, I, I misspoke there, that's not what I meant to say. Procurements for uh, the, the FF&E, uh, that could be furniture, you know, on our end, the general contractor might be uh, uh, procuring door hardware has been tough to get lately, I don't understand. Uh, electrical components, lighting, it's been tough to get. Uh, most notably, HVAC units, uh, uh, rooftop units, RTUs. Uh, the, the, those types of things, uh, not making sure that that stuff is ordered well in advance of when it's going to be installed is critical. And without managing a schedule, you're lost. Yeah. You're, you're lost. If you don't understand the timeline of your project, and this is for your listeners that are considering a relocation. Like if you, if you don't have someone as managing your schedule, you're not going to get in on time. I, I, I will put my life on it. <laughs> <laughs> it's not going to happen because you need to be looking at, looking at those things. And then the requirements is kind of like risks. Anytime our clients are sharing what their vision, tangible or, tangible or not tangible, uh, I'm documenting what that is so that I'm always prepared to share with our vendor resources what our clients expectations are so requirements management is really important and that a lot and what I would share here is that the earlier relevant is involved in your project the less you're gonna have to repeat what your expectations are and the more of your expectations are going to be met when you finally set up shop and begin operating out of your new location. Requirements management is not done in today's environment without someone that is skilled in project management. And I can, uh, and I'd love to talk about all of those a, a lot more. Uh, we also manage an action item log, and our meeting agendas uh, on, on a weekly basis come out with, uh, are, are prepared in the same format each and every week. And so, same with our summaries. So we're always updating what I've just shared with you and your listeners as our project management tools, and, and that's the service that people are paying for. That enables us to deliver a seamless relocation experience now with that said if you open up the pmi or the PMBOK uh, project project management book of knowledge there is i'm just going to guess a hundred times <laughs> more tools and techniques that are available and useful in project management but those are the tools and techniques that I have established for relevant to deliver that seamless relocation experience. We do not have a system today, and I'm just being transparent with you, a technology in place that is work that has that workflow built out. Uh, but that is our next strategic initiative 
uh, once we get this uh, sales executive on board is to really deploy a, a proprietary software solution uh, for these projects. That's great. I just want to be clear when you're talking about risk management, you said the hurricanes are coming. You meant the literal hurricanes are coming here. Like we live in Southwest Florida. So that is a huge deal of like yeah, stuff, hur- stuff like that yeah. is hurricanes, uh, you know, uh, par- parades, uh, during the move weekend, <laughs> Gasparilla parade during a move weekend. You're not moving in this, in downtown Tampa when the Gasparilla parade's going on just not happening That's funny. Yeah. Uh, so, so we're so we're, we're looking at things like that and, and yes uh it, it could be project specific or it could be the environment that we're working with it well, i like the there's one thing that i also wanted to circle back to that i really really hit home uh we're talking about requirements you said when the, you know, the client shares their vision tangible or intangible you're always taking notes so that you're in a good position to communicate that to the different vendors so they get a clear picture in their head of what the client expects. What is the expectation here? Mm-hmm. And I think there's a huge um, there's a, there's a difference between delegating something like a, a big relocation to uh, the firm administrator or the office administrator or the CFO. And I think the CEO and and all the other parties involved, right? They're looking at this person and they're like, well, they work right alongside me. Of course they know what I mean when I say X, Y, or Z. Of course they know that's the kind of furniture that we want. And there's all these assumptions that are taken for granted. But when we bring in an outside party, and we are an outside party a lot too, and we go, a time out, what exactly do you mean by pristine environment, right? <laughs> are you talking about push a mop across the floor? Or are you talking about like HEPA filters and micron dust limitations and, you know, clean room type stuff? And I would imagine there's, a, there's probably a lot of, I, would, I don't know, would you find the requirements part is the kind of the most tedious part where you're like, well, can you be a little bit more specific? Because that could mean one thing for you and one thing for another client. Let me answer that just a little bit differently, all right? So what you've brought up is the – a lot. let me take even a further step back. Oftentimes, our clients feel like the vend- – when we're being brought on board maybe a little bit later in the process than everybody would like, um, oftentimes the fingers are being pointed at the vendors. And – in those environments, which is about 50% of the time, we're being brought in to kind of clean up a little bit of a mess. And what we find out each and every time, 100% of the time, is that it's on the, the client's indecisiveness to move things forward. So there's a lack of clarity within the organization itself on what day one is going to look like in that new space. So when I hear what the vision is for the space and I'm out in the we're touring a space let's just say we're touring a space Uh, and i hear that from the cfo i note it right that next meeting agenda has some i don't know if it was about the furniture or if it was about the construction but i'm sharing with everybody that's on the call now the coo the ceo the office manager that's going to handle furniture procurement or whatever that is that we've established this requirement so now I'm getting consensus. So once I have that consensus, I'm able to confidently go out to the vendor base and say, this is the decision that was made. So yes, we're given the autonomy to share with our vendors, but 
the point that you're making or the point that you brought up that I want to reaffirm is that sometimes the requirement hasn't even been established within the organization yet. Nobody's made a decision. No one's made a decision and no one's and and somewhat sometimes there's conflict or there's resolution or there's components of that requirement that need to be further vetted. Most recently we're talking about uh, entry entry sign. Um, and you know, we're talking about fonts, but we don't even know what information once we want to be most prominent on on the sign and we're already have the renderings we have the cost and now we're going back to what does the sign say <laughs> right and, and you know if my client's listening that's i'm glad we caught it now yeah. right before we ordered the sign because it would have without us involved that would have got caught when the sign got installed when the ceo walked in the door was like what is that doing <laughs> right right so so it, it's all good things but we Let's go back to Cam's mentioning we're not carrying the boxes. I'm not installing the sign. I'm the project manager to make sure that all the stakeholders weigh in, that the requirements are accurate, that we're that the project is going um, to meet the budget requirements, and then that we're all focused on a day one. And in order to do that, we're, I'm managing risks behind the scenes. I'm holding the vendors accountable for the stuff that they say that they're going to do on a weekly basis. But most importantly, I'm holding our clients accountable for what they said that they're going to do on a weekly basis. We could not be successful without the action of our clients. They've hired us to manage and prioritize what tasks need to be completed first. Yeah, I like that last part um, about you're holding the clients accountable. I mean, that's our job. <laughs> I was going to say, does that sound familiar at yeah. all, Karen? Is it? <laughs> that's what we do. Right. Uh, so project management, there's so much that goes into it. There, and there's, you know, there's people that are naturally gifted at project management based on their personality type. Maybe they're more task or detail oriented, think more analytically. Mm -hmm. But, you know, like you guys have mentioned, there's also this, this monster certification of a PMP that I think it's like a 60% pass rate. So it's difficult on the first time. Yeah. First time. Okay. So a lot that goes into it and you're a team of PMPs and your clients has seen how much that benefits them. I'm curious, how's that benefited relevant as the business growing? So your project management mindset, how you think, how you look at problems, how you look at growing, mm. how does that apply to your own business? How does it apply to my own business? The, 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 if I can say something, uh, uh, maybe counterintuitive, uh, we're risk averse people. <laughs> uh, and, and potentially, you know, uh, we've made, maybe should have made a decision that we didn't make or, or things along those lines. So, so uh, could, could it have held us back in scenarios potentially? Uh, but, you know, uh, for, with, re with regards to growing the, the business, the reason that I require the PMP certification for our project managers that are going to be working for our clients, I want to make sure that us as an organization are speaking the same language, right? Stakeholders are stakeholders, and we know what that means, right? Uh, but you could easily call them contacts. Yeah. You, you could all easily call them team members. Uh, but I want everybody to be using the same language, right? Our budgets are set up the same way on each and every project. 
and this is the way we manage budgets based based off of our methodology. So how has it helped? It's consistency. And that, that was a decision that we made long ago. That was nothing relocation strategies related. Uh, I didn't get anything from the relocation strategies franchisor that was PMP uh, modeled after a, a, a PMP methodology. So uh, that that's that's the short answer. Has it benefited our company? We all speak the same language. That's great. Well, we have been. Uh, I've been having a lot of fun. I feel like I could talk for another hour and a <laughs> yeah, half. Yeah, uh, sure. But this has been great. I would. We'll put links in the show notes to Relevant and and a lot of the other resources. I've been making lists of different things that you've been mentioning. Um, what would you say if? if the, kind of the last question I want to ask is for somebody who's considering a move, you know, like they know we're going to have to move. We don't know where we don't know exactly when, um, but we, but we know it's coming. Uh, I would say for most of our clients, some kind of growth track is going to necessitate a physical facilities move at some mm-hmm. point. Um, where would you tell them to reach out and when in the process? Like, is it, What's the best time for them to to say I'm going to want some help with this? I'm going to go ahead and start the conversation. Yeah. So so my my uh, very direct answer is when you when you're considering or when you recognize that there's going to be a relocation for your company in the future, and that could be 18 months from now, that could be three years from now, but you know that there there's a move coming up. Don't focus in on the transaction first. Contact us. Let us have a conversation. Let me share with them a timeline. If you've got a 10,000 square foot office space and you're going to be relocating 40 to 60 employees or setting up, maybe you're not even relocating 40 to 60 employees at this point, what you need to do is, you, is first we have to find the right commercial real estate broker. We all know of commercial real estate brokers, but some specialize in industrial, some specialize in retail, some know this geographic region. We know them all. <laughs> I've had coffee with them all. <laughs> Let me help you get to the right one. That's awesome. Okay. Yeah. okay? And, and let's put together a program that basically says, this is what your commercial real estate broker is going to go out there and look for you. So save everybody a lot of time by being very specific about the information that you share with your real estate broker up front. So let me help you with that conversation. Uh, but the, the, the most important part of the answer that I'm gonna share with you, Joey, is the timeline, okay? If your lease is coming up in 18 months, let's start talking about what a relocation looks like. Because getting your commercial real estate broker in at month seven before your lease expires just means you're going to be paying a higher rent payment when that term is up. Hmm. You're going to be on holdover rent. Okay, A 10,000 square foot office move is going to take about seven months after that lease is executed to to complete. So let's go through this timeline real quick. We got... uh, two months of architectural and engineering design, even if we're fitting out an existing office space, demoing some walls, moving some electrical, there's permitting required. 
Then we're going to take two months for permitting, and then the construction build is going to be two or three months. While everybody's touring, they're being told it's only going to be a two or three months construction build. <laughs> no one's telling them about permitting, and no one's telling them about architectural and engineering design. The biggest challenge that we as non-brokers can share with everybody is you find a space and your company's legal department and the landlord's legal department takes three months to agree on terms and execute the lease. So we have a seven month project schedule. We have three months of lease negotiations. What we haven't talked about yet is how long it's going to find you to find how long it's going to take for you and your broker to find the space. And what I would suggest is you should leave yourself two or three months to do that as well. Okay. So now we're talking about a year to 13 months from being in your new space and operational from when you start looking. So you do the math. You yeah. know, if you have a 40,000 square foot space, it's probably going to be a little bit harder to find it. If you're looking for an industrial space, that could be uh, even more challenging to find because vacancy rates are so low uh, right now. So uh, long answer to the question. Very, no, most, very mo most important question. I would say, going back to the short answer, if a relocation is something that is going to happen in the next couple of years for your organization, that's half coffee. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good answer. That's a good answer. I also like um, leading with the timeline because when people are pressed for time, they tend not to make as good of decisions. It you know, costs so much more. Cut corners yeah. and that costs money. Um, well, this has been great, Bill. I'm going to ask you to stick around for just a few minutes because I, I do want to circle back to a couple of things, but we're going to wrap up the podcast now. And I just want to thank you for spending your yeah. morning with us. This has been fantastic. And I've enjoyed it. We'll have this you back, uh, I'm sure, in the future because there's a lot more to cover. But thanks, right. everybody, and we'll thank see you, you next week. I just want to follow up. Give us your outlook. You, you mentioned vacancy rates there at the end, so it's kind of like after a show we we can kind of cover some different topics. But what um, what are you seeing in the real estate market right now? What advice would you give business owners just about the the real estate market? You obviously understand a lot of what's going on in it and all the factors that might play into switching space or finding new space. What are you seeing, and what's the where do you expect it to go? Uh, uh for me, expectations, remember, I'm not, not on the brokerage side, but uh, it's certainly uh, delve deep into you know, any real estate podcasts that are out there, and I'm trying to acquire as much knowledge as I, as I can. Right now, uh, industrial space is very, very limited. New product is coming online. It's typically being built, and I'm not an industrial expert, but what I understand is it's being built for distribution, uh, there's not a lot of uh, smaller footprint light manufacturing uh, types of products out there. Uh, so that stuff is harder to find. Uh, rents are going up uh, because demand is so high and supply is so low. Uh, so that that's the industrial space, and if you have specific questions there, let me know, or I can con uh, or I can help you get in contact with someone that give you even a better answer. Uh, <clears throat> On the office side, we're in a unique environment. Uh, 
footprints are getting smaller for, let's just call it the majority, even if it's 51% of the uh, organizations that, that, that are here. Uh, no one's abandoning their space. The people that have abandoned their space, or that have abandoned their space have already done so. That's, that's what I'm hearing. That's what it appears to look like. There are, people are migrating back to the office. It's not the same. They're not required to be there from Monday to Friday, from eight in the morning till five o'clock at PM. 5 o'clock p.m. Um, but you, uh, office space utilization uh, is increasing from uh, the, the, the depths of 2020. What does that, what does that mean? Uh, rents aren't going down. Uh, there's been a little bit of softening of the vacancy rate, so that means there's more product available. The wild card is the amount of sublease space that is out there. This is space that companies were using pre-pandemic, uh, recognized they didn't need, have decided to uh, put it on the market to um, to, to lease out uh, to another person, another company that can occupy that space. Uh, I think it's it's mixed is how successful that that's become, but the difference in this scenario is that company is still solvent, still profitable, still paying their lease. Okay, so when we look at maybe something a ten year lease term that was signed in two thousand nineteen, that's for sublease now, they're going to pay their rent until two thousand nineteen. So landlords are good, mm -hmm. right? Everybody's getting paid, loans are getting paid back. Um, now we take that that kind of negative connotation that I've kind of shared there. And then we factor in this migration of new business. The question is, does the new business, the new companies that are headquartering here in Tampa, is that enough to offset what we might be losing from those existing tenants that don't, that, that won't, won't renew in the future? And I can't answer that question, but what I can tell you is rent rates are strong Supply has increased slightly, and uh, it's uh, and we are. I I don't I don't like to say this because it's a little naive. It's hard <laughs> for me to say, but we are somewhat insulated from what the rest of the country is realizing the the, the Chicago's of of, yeah. of of the nation thing, things of that uh, things of that. Or cities like that, yeah. where there's a, a little bit of a little exodus, right? Yeah. Because those rents, I, I don't know enough about those ter th those uh, uh, markets. Uh, but what I can tell you here, not much has changed in activity. As I got four leads over the past two days. So That's the, interesting. We took a road trip with our family last summer and uh, couldn't help myself. You know, we were in Kansas City, St. Louis, Cincinnati, Atlanta. Atlanta was the only city that had a net positive uh, increase in commercial real estate space, all the and under lease. St. Louis was decimated. I mean, you go, and we were in downtown St. Louis, the Arch, and went to a baseball game. Same thing in Cincinnati. And we're there on a weekday. Yeah, you know, Tuesday morning, no Thursday one, morning, no one. nobody in the downtown sector. It was just yeah. crazy. The only people it was parking for the ball game was fantastic because there was no, no street parking. There was yeah, nobody right. on the street. Right. But um, that makes sense. So you're saying that some of these commercial spaces, somebody may have taken out a twenty thousand square foot lease, 
and now they only need five of it. They're on the hook for the remainder of the 15 for another seven, eight, nine years. They're going to keep paying that bill. There's some loss mitigation that they've engaged in to sublet and cut their bill. But we don't know whether maybe at the end of that lease term they opt out for a smaller footprint somewhere else. Is somebody going to come behind them and fill that 15,000-square-foot space? Yeah, I think that's the, that, that's that's the, the question. That's the wild card. But what I'm listening to this morning is, uh, is that, you know, steadily employers are gaining traction in bringing people back into the office, albeit not five days a week, 40 hours a week. Yeah. So... People are always asking us specifically about their work. Like they don't know how to carve up the space given the fact that people are going to be coming and going. The challenge I I ask, my recommendation is get human resources involved <laughs> uh, and start interviewing your personnel. Because we're all responsible for providing our employees with the tools that they need to do their job. To me, office space could be considered a tool. Yeah. Right? So if behind the scenes we have a conversation about their role and function in the organization and we think that they can work from home and we just need them to come in and sit in a training table three times a month, then let's make sure we have a training table seat for them. Yeah. If they're going to need to be in their seat more than two and a, more than more than two times a week then they need a dedicated space because yeah. they can't share that with someone else that's going to be in the office yeah. more than two times a week i had this conversation <laughs> this morning with uh they've got they're looking for two people and one's probably going to be a three two split home office the other's gonna be a two three split home office and that's what they're they both need a dedicated space but they're like we can jam two desks in one office and there's only ever going to be one person in there they can both have their own space but we don't have to have two offices because we'll have one come in monday wednesday we'll have the other one come in tuesday thursday friday and one's going to sit on one side of the office and have all their stuff up but though their thing was they for us, flex space is not an option because we have to be able to put a headset on and have a confidential conversation in a quiet room with a customer on the other end of the line. Having two people in an office doesn't isn't conducive to that. But if we can That's manage work schedules yeah. so that we've only got one person in the office at a time, we can get away with one office for two people. And I think, you know, to me, it made a lot of sense. I think that there's a lot of hurdles like you said you got to get hr involved because if they don't communicate that expectation somebody's like you know i'd rather work monday and friday instead of monday and wednesday now now yeah. your plan just gets shot right and what, what you're what you're talking about is is very interesting we weren't able to touch on it when we were live but you know when we manage a move we're managing a move roster so every employee is identified as to where they're at and where they're going. Those move rosters have become more dynamic uh, as we start to look at space planning. So we're creating move rosters even earlier in the process. Oftentimes we get into these projects and either they have a space plan and our clients think they're construction documents, <laughs> not even close, right? Or they don't even have a space plan at all. They just have a dimensional drawing that they think they can put 40 people in this space. Uh, and, and that's more. Well, I got out my kids' Lego characters <laughs> and they all fit, so it should be a problem. So what do we, what do, we do in a scenario where there's supposed to be shared space and it's not functional given 
you know, a change in the operating environment six months from now. And that's the other wild card. So this 20,000 square foot user using 5,000 square foot today, 15,000 square foot up for sublease, the operating environment changes in 2024. And all of a sudden it makes sense to just get everybody back into the 20,000 square feet. Yeah. And then we have a really interesting scenario, growth scenario in 2030 or, 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 or earlier than that, yeah. right, right? Where that space is just no longer available and vacancy rates are none. Yeah. Any, what besides the, um, what, what is the other like big, bigger critical component besides like the real estate space when it comes to real, like what's the biggest miss you find with clients? What's the biggest unanticipated thing that blows the budget or it's construction. One hundred percent. It's the, uh, it is. Uh, let's just call it. Uh, we'll call it seventy-five percent. Uh, you know, I don't have that that, that math in front of me. Uh, this is the challenge right here, and that's why when you ask the question about when to get us involved, let we need to have a conversation about what you're going to be told. Everybody in the current commercial real estate environment is focused in on the transaction. We are not. Yeah. We're focused in on day one. So everybody's gonna tell you, yes, no problem. $40 a square foot for your TI is gonna be fine. Not even close. $100. It's good for a 10,000 square foot space. You are going <clears throat> to spend $100 a, a, a square foot. That's a million dollars. Landlords aren't giving millions of dollars away right now for their TI. They may give you 400,000, they may. They may give you seven hundred thousand, but they're not, not giving you a, a million. And seven hundred is going to be a lot. That that that's almost un, unthinkable. Seventy dollars a square foot in TI. You'd have to. It would definitely be a ten, uh, a, a, a a ten year term. I, I don't think you get seventy. I think that that's that. If there was any commercial real estate brokers here, <laughs> they would be upset. Like uh, forty is really good. Okay, but what people think is that that 40 is going to cover that entire project. Construction costs are out of this world right now. $40 is something maybe we could have done back in 2015. $70 maybe in 2019. Now it's it's not it's just not it's just not possible. Um, and we work hard to drive that budget down but that that window right there, that side light on your door is $900 more per doorway than if you would just have that door. Wow. <laughs> right? So, you know, we know that, right? These lights, they look good. And let's save $120,000 on lighting by just reusing the existing. That's what we can do when we come in and we start start having conversations. So the, the question was, what gets missed? The construction budget, because the budget's blown and then everybody then, then there's no dollars for well, anything the, else. Like you said, the people focused on the transaction are setting an unrealistic expectation just to get to closing day. And they're not yes. thinking about day one of the of the movement. Yeah, and you know, I hope that doesn't offend any listeners <laughs> uh, related the commercial commercial real estate brokers, but that that's really the, the, the key and we're all always in a position to clean up the mess uh, in, in that scenario. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thanks again, man. Really appreciate you coming and spending a lot longer than we'd initially planned on, but uh, you've been very That's generous. So. Yeah, this is awesome. All I, right. I enjoyed it. Thank you. Awesome. Thanks, Bill. <laughs>